Good morning. Let me, uh, let me open us up in a time of prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll go to God's Word uh, together and, uh, and study and see what He has to say for us this morning. Oh, gracious Father, we thank You for the covenant. We thank You for the signs of the covenant. We thank You, Lord, for the reminder that it is Your covenant that You make with us. Lord, it is not something that we have to sustain, that we have to uphold, that we have to put a foundation underneath. Yet, Lord, we know that You have rescued us. Lord, we look forward to Campbell's day when he recognizes, Lord, his deep need for you and he gives his life. Lord, he submits and surrenders his will and you give him a new heart. Lord, we look forward to that day. And Father, for those of us who have been baptized, Lord, we ask that you would help us as the fathers talk about improving upon our baptism. Lord, that we would remember, we would cherish, and Lord, we would live out of that strength today, tomorrow, and the days ahead. And now, Lord, as we take up your word, we ask that you would, as you've done for so many years, would you speak to and through and for your glory. And, Lord, we, we ask that you would shape us and mold us and that we would, Lord, uh, be different because of our time with you in the word. Ask Holy Spirit, come now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to, if you have your Bibles, if you want to join me in uh, 2 Timothy uh, we'll have the text uh, here printed up here for you as well. Second Timothy is, uh, we finally find out this is the final message of the Apostle Paul. And we know this because he tells us uh, in chapter 4, uh, he tells us beginning in verse 6 this. He says to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I love verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul here is telling Timothy, my time is done. History uh, only gives one account of his death, and it was the death of a martyr. He didn't die from an illness. He didn't die from old age. Uh, Tradition tells us that he was beheaded uh, in Rome uh, because of his allegiance because of his loyalty to the Lord Jesus. And so he knows his time is up. And so what does he do? He takes up pen and paper, or he takes up pen and scroll, or uh, papyrus, or whatever it was, and he writes out a letter to Timothy. Um, and we learn a little bit about Timothy in the opening uh, verses in chapter 1. And uh, Timothy, he describes in verse 2 as his beloved child. Uh, he says, I remember you in verse 4 with tears. I long to see you. Uh, Verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And then he describes a faith that came through his mothers and his grandmothers, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And and today we have not only Campbell's grandmothers, but Campbell's great-grandmothers here with us as well. And their faith has come and has been demonstrated as well for for Campbell to see um, and to walk uh, in their paths. So when we look at this book, I want to I just read to you a, the second paragraph. It's going to begin in verse uh, 8. We're going to read through verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now 
has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says in verse 11, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, and which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Last words of the Apostle Paul. You know, last words are significant. If you knew tomorrow was your last day here on earth, how would you spend your time? Would you spend your time catching up on old Survivor uh, episodes? Probably not, right? Yeah, You probably really wouldn't work in the garden, right? You would say, whatever I do today is absolutely critical because I know my time is up. And so Paul, knowing his time up, gives his last word. I love this scene in Braveheart. When William Wallace is being tortured to death, and you remember he has one word, just one word he can breathe out. He cries out, freedom. That was his message. That was his, his most important message. And with that cry came uh, the Scots and, oh, unite the clans and, and uh, the great uh, uh, re- revolution of the Scots against the Brits. And you know how the movie goes. Moses, he knows his time is up. And In Deuteronomy 32, he says, listen, take to heart all the words I'm saying you today. And in verse 47 of chapter 32, he says, for it is indeed, it's no empty word, indeed it is your life. I love love the detail there. It's not for your life. It's not about your life. Moses says to the people of, of Israel, take it to heart because it is your life. And today we have before us, and we're reading uh, the Apostle Paul, his final words, and I'm going to suggest that in verse 14, we're going to get the, the, the summary of what he says in this entire last letter. Look again at verse 14. Uh, Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. I love how the, the New American Standard translates good deposit. It's treasure. He tells Timothy, guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. This, perhaps, is his final message that we have here in the Word. If you were to walk your way through this letter a couple of times, you'll see quickly he repeats himself over and over again with mainly two key words. One would be a word that's suffering or affliction or persecution, those kind of synonyms, and you'll see this all the way through. But then also we see throughout the entire letter are these references to the Word of God. Uh, Here it would be the good deposit. Back in verse 8, it was the gospel. Uh, In verse uh, 13, that which has been entrusted. Verse uh, 12, verse 13, the pattern of sound words. And so we have all sprinkled throughout this letter this idea of suffering and the Word of God. How do these How do these relate? How do these go together? Uh, Did you notice in verse 8, he says, 
share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Here's our, here's our first point. When it comes to guarding the gospel, it, we need to realize that it comes with suffering. Um, join me, he says in verse 8. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a real appealing uh, 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 opening liner, Paul. Um, especially if we know some things about Paul, right? We know Paul, when he says suffering, he, he means suffering. Uh, for example, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, um, he's going to give us a list uh, beginning in verse 24. Listen to this list. Here's just a few of them. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from else, dangers from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then he adds this in verse 28, and apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety uh, for all the churches. When Paul talks about suffering, he talks about the lashes. Perhaps you've seen that scene in uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion where Jesus is, is beaten with the lashes. They would bend them over a pole and, and tie their hands down so their body was tight and, and, and bent over. And they would take this thing that they would weave in bone and metal and glass. The cat of nine tails is often what it was called. And they would, they would whip him. And they said that skin would come off, that ribs would come be broken, that organs would be exposed five times. Now, I can imagine the first time was a shock. you imagine the second time? You ever had a scar and you bump that scar? You know how bad it hurts? Third time. I wonder if Paul began to expect as he entered villages to bring the gospel that he pretty much assumed it was going to hurt. The rods, three times. In Lystra, he was stoned so severely, they thought he was dead. And yet Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, he'll say these momentary, light afflictions. Momentary, light afflictions? These momentary, light afflictions, he says, are achieving for me an eternal weight of glory. And I love this next clause. Far beyond all comparison. When Paul talked about suffering, Timothy knew exactly what he meant. Come, join me in suffering. Uh, Look what he says about suffering here in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, understand this, that in the last day there will come times of difficulty. He describes it. Boy, does this sound familiar. Verse 2, people will be lovers of self. Selfies, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's the worst one. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. I mean, look at this list. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power He says, avoid such people. 
He says in verse 10, you followed my teaching, Timothy. You followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. And look at verse 11, and my persecutions. You followed me, my persecutions and sufferings that happened. And he gives them very specific incidences at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You see, if we're going to take up guarding the treasure, guarding the gospel, the word of God, we need to realize this comes with suffering. If you're not convinced yet, look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Paul says it very clearly. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What do you think about that? What do you, what do you believe about your calling to follow Jesus, to take up his word and to be a light in the dark world, what do you believe about this idea that it's going to come with suffering? Well, Paul's only saying what Jesus told us. Jesus told us the same thing, didn't he? He says, and John, they will hate you because of me. Men will seek to destroy you because of me. I don't know about you, but we shouldn't be surprised when we say something publicly when we live a certain way that we get picked on, that we get accused, that we get mocked, we get ridiculed, we might even get ignored, but we shouldn't ex be surprised. Right? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeals that come across, as if, as if you weren't expecting it. To guard the treasure, his last words, it starts off with a, with a, a serious, sober reminder, it comes with suffering. And don't forget, these momentary light sufferings are worth it. Paul's not a crazy man. Paul's saying, listen, I understand the deal, and it's a really good deal. To exchange your pleasure, to exchange your uh, temporary comfort, the things that are seen for the things that are unseen, he says, nothing, nothing compares to that. Do you believe that in your heart? Something to think about. Something to pray about. The second point is it calls for a standard. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, we read this earlier. He says, follow the pattern of sound words. I can remember Abby, uh, one time, her mom was out of town. And she was a young girl, and she decided she was going to make biscuits for the first time. Abby and I are exactly cut from the same cloth. We love to go at things fast and hard. And sometimes we cut corners. And so Abby decided that sugar and salt could be replaceable. So she made these big, fluffy, white, delicious-looking looking biscuits uh, with no sugar but with salt. I may have that backwards. Uh, whatever it was, it tasted horrible. It was nasty. We both, we buttered them up, put the jelly on there. We took a big bite. We both immediately knew this was not good. You have to follow the recipe, right? You don't, you don't wing it. And he's saying to him here now in verse 13, Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words, of healthy words. And I love this about the gospel. We don't have to contextualize it and make it hip and make it cool so that people accept it. We have the content. Remember, I had a friend who was doing ministry in inner city Knoxville surrounded by just crime and, and suffering and murder and life of, I mean, just abuse. 
And he told me, David, I'm stopping the message of the cross. I don't want to talk about the cross anymore. It's too violent. It's too brutal. And, you know, we got in the corner and went nose to nose. And you can't do that, I told him. The message is the message. The cross is absolutely necessary if we're to follow Jesus. Follow the pattern. Where does he get this pattern? Look at verse 13. It's what you've heard from me. Uh, The pattern that you heard from me. He's going to talk about it again in chapter 2. He's going to tell them in verse uh, 14, part of following the pattern is you remind them, he says in verse 14, of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Why? Which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Uh, Drop down to verse 16. Avoid irreverent babble. Uh, It leads people into more and more ungodliness. It's like gangrene, he says in verse 17. Instead, he says back in verse 15, to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, and this is the secret, rightly handling the word of truth. Wow. Wow. When I look over here at verse 22 of chapter 2, he says two things. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. And then this great list that comes from it. There's only, listen, there's only two options when it comes to God's word. Either you run from it or you run to it. Brothers and sisters, there's no neutral gear in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no, you know what, I've worked a long time I'm now in my retirement stage. I'm going to kick this sucker in neutral, and I'm going to coast my way to the finish line. That ain't going to work. And you're not going to say, you know what? I'm a young person now. I want to sow my wild oats. I want to get out and have a lot of fun. When I get older, then I'll get serious. That's not an option either. Either you're running away from God or you're running to God uh, in this. And that's part of handling it accurately. That's part of understanding that you don't get caught up in. Um, You let the plain things be the main things, right? You don't go to battle over um, uh, red carpet or blue carpet. (laughs) Y'all have red carpet here, that's good. (laughs) Right, you don't go uh, wooden pulpit versus lucite pulpit, or uh, right? Those kind of things, we want to make sure that we don't major in the minors, but that we let the main things be the plain things. But we understand that the main things are the main things. And so if we're to follow him, we have to, to handle this accurately. Uh, We need to stick to the recipe. We need to stick uh, to the pattern uh, in doing that. So how do we do that? Here's a thought. If you don't spend time reading and thinking and and studying God's Word, you're not going to find the pattern. I can tell you, it's not instinctive. It's not your gut, right? All you got to do is just walk your way through through the Old Testament. You don't get very far to say, oh, that's not what I would have done. Joshua, Joseph, right, Abraham. Moses, yeah, let's take the Savior of Israel, put him in a basket in the Nile River and see what happens. No, no, it's not instinctive. If we're really going to follow uh, the pattern, we need to know the pattern. Uh, We need to handle it accurately. So it comes with suffering, it calls for a standard, and thirdly and lastly, it continues when we share it with others. When I think about guarding, I think about this, putting it away where nobody can see it. Right? If you've got a safe, you probably don't put it on your mantle in your, in your living room. Right? Your safe goes under the bed. It goes in the closet. Right? You, you, you put it where nobody can find it. 
That's usually what we think about, isn't it, when we want to guard something. And yet here we have almost the exact opposite. Look what he says uh, in verse 11 of chapter 1. He says, uh, For which I was appointed, speaking of the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and a teacher and an apostle. He says, Which is why I suffer I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I've believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Okay, so one thing I want you to see here in this verse is he's been given something. It's the gospel. And in this gift, he says, I'm not ashamed because it's been entrusted to me. Why is he not ashamed according to the verse? Well, he knows who gave it to him. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that he is able to guard it. So how do we guard this treasure? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul tells Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, here's what I want you to do. What you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The secret to guarding the treasure is not to keep it to yourself, not to hide it, but to give it away. Now, I love this idea. It's this idea of entrust to others. So, so if I can, uh, if I can uh, hand you this. Now, listen, this is the covenant symbol that my wife right there, the real pretty blonde, gave me as a commitment. I'm going to give it to you, Okay. Now, that's ridiculous, right? Margaret's blood pressure just went up. That's not how I would give it, right? What would I do? What's your name? Landon. You must understand, brother. This is the most precious thing in my world. Give me your hand. Hold it out. You ready? Here it comes. I'm going to put it in your hand. I'm going to squeeze it. Now, look at me, Landon. Don't you lose that, right? That's entrusting. Now, get it back, please. (laughs) Right? That's entrusting and that's what he says. I want you to go find people to instruct it. Why? What kind of people? What does it say there in verse 2? He says, faithful men, and I think we can include women here, who will be able to teach others also. So Landon, I'm going to entrust this to you. Okay, and remember, very important. Now, what are you going to do with it? You're going to entrust it to him. What's your name? Landon, talk to him. Squeeze his hand. Give him that look I gave you. There you go. Austin, what are you going to do? What's her name? Do you trust her? Right? He's not proposing, okay? He's just, hey, he's just, just. <laughs> I might have just stepped into something there. I'm sorry. <laughs> you get the idea, though. He says if we're going to guard the treasure, we don't go we don't keep it to ourselves. Now, what, is that, what does that look like in our culture? It means we don't have little Christian holy huddles. Where the only time we actually talk about Jesus and the gospel and the spirit is when we're just together in our own little huddle. If we're going to guard the treasure, we've got to be looking. We've got to be out there looking for those whom we can entrust this gospel. And when we entrust it to someone, we want to encourage them. Handle it accurately. Prepare for suffering. Stick to the recipe, right? We're just going to be passing that on. 
He says that it, it both in chapter 2, verse 2, but he also says it in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Very serious words here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, look what he says, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. And exhort, and I love this next phrase, this is written for me, with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and to wander off into myths. Um, This is what people are doing. If they don't like the recipe, what do they do? They make their own. And Paul's saying to them, get ready. You need to be preaching the word. And it's not always just nice, you know, happy birds flying around your head as you share it. The word rebuke was in there. Did you see that? Reprove was in there. Sometimes when we preach the gospel, we know we're coming up against somebody else's worldview that is completely the opposite. But remember, we're to do it with great patience. Our goal is not to condemn and to judge, but to win people over, to woo people uh, into a deeper relationship uh, with their Savior. So they're to trust it, they're to preach it. And let me give you the secret. Go back to chapter 1, verse 8. Here's the secret. This is how you do it. It's at the end of verse 8. He says this, Share in the sufferings for the gospel. It's this clause. By the power of God. Did you notice how he says a similar thing there in verse 14? How do we guard the treasure? He says, by the Holy Spirit. That's the secret, brothers and sisters. That's where the power lies. If we're going to guard the treasure, if we're going to be a part of his mission that he's called us to, we know it's coming with suffering. We know there's a recipe, there's a standard, and we know that we need to share it with others, but we need to do it. Listen carefully in his power, and in his strength. The minute you think it's up to you to convince somebody to become a believer, I'm telling you, you've run into a wall. Not by your power, but by the Lord's power we'll do it. And let me remind you of one other's last words. John 19, verse 30, we hear our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. As he gives up his spirit, he cries out, It is is finished. And we're about to celebrate next week. Three days later, he gets another shot at a last word. And the last thing he tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is he says, I'm giving you my spirit that you may be my witnesses. The word is, we get our word martyr from it, martyreo. You be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, to the very ends of the earth. May God be with you as you guard his treasure, as you soak in it, as you make it your own, as you look at the pattern and the recipe, as you allow it to to affect your decisions and your values and your relationships, as you allow it to just melt your cold heart and, and continually draw you closer to him. May God be the one who enables you to not hold on to his word, but to give it to others.
He's coming back, and he tells us we can speed up that day. I love it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11, we can hasten the day. Let's do so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much, Lord, for the incredible privilege we have, Lord, to take up these words that we know absolutely are, are true. For thousands of years, by your Spirit, you have preserved them. I, Lord, I heard just the other day they found some more Dead Sea Scrolls, and no surprise, they match. Lord, what a great treasure we have here. And Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here in Rome and, and at Seven Hills. And Lord, I would pray that you would continue to deepen their appetite for you. And Lord, as they go to your word, that they would look for Jesus. That they would look for an understanding and awareness. Lord, not just a bunch of rules of to-dos and to-don'ts, but Lord, that you would deepen their understanding of you so they may grow even closer. Lord, we give you all this now in Jesus' name.